and welcome to Deacon's Pod. This is Deacon Drew. Hello, I'm Deacon Mark. Hey everybody, it's good to be here. It's Deacon Patrick. Hello, and welcome back to Deacon's Pod. This is Deacon Drew Dixon. I'm here today with Deacons Mark Aislin and Patrick Olette. Deacon Patrick, tell us a little bit about yourself. I was born and raised in northern Ohio, a little town called Sandusky. I'm married, and I have uh, three adult children, and I'm currently assigned to Good Shepherd Parish in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, it's right near Mount Vernon, and uh, we have a beautiful congregation, and uh, it's just a lovely place here, nestled just south of the nation's capital. We moved to the D.C. area about 20 years ago and have you know, enjoyed our time so much, we decided to stay. One of the things that has occurred to me, guys, is both of you, uh, without giving away any secret information, both of you guys work for the federal government, correct? Yes. Yes, we do. So does it trouble you at all that uh, the government came close to shutting down and may before this is all over shut down anyway? Always very stressful when the government goes into shutdown looming mode. And if anybody has seen my social media, they're well aware of it because I am not a silent person on it. Because it is just, it's so idiotic. It doesn't help anybody. It it does no good whatsoever. Well, that's what occurs to me. I don't want to, we don't have to get political about this. I just want to talk about the devastating impact it has on the people who do all the work. People don't realize how much workers in the federal government do to keep this country moving, right? And there's also just the effect. I think people forget that during that period of time that we're shut down, people don't get paychecks. And for those of us who've been in the government for a long time, we probably have money stored away to to keep us going for that period of time. But there are a lot of folks who are living paycheck to paycheck, and it affects them right away. And that combined with the general criticism of government workers, it makes it a very, as Deacon Patrick said, a stressful time for folks. And it's not only the government workers, the contractors who have government contracts and and work for them, they're not getting paid if their contract wasn't funded. So you have all the support staff and the cleaning staff and the cooks and the cafeteria workers. And there's a whole drivers, lots of a lot of drivers group of, yeah, a whole other group of people that are not government employees that not only don't get a paycheck. But unlike the government employees who are now guaranteed to get paid in the event of a shutdown eventually, they are not guaranteed to get anything. Right. Yeah, that's a big change, right, from the past. We're guaranteed eventually to get paid. It's difficult for people if the the shutdown, if a furlough goes on for a long time, not to have the paycheck coming in. But eventually we know we'll get paid for that time. But as Patrick said, there are a lot of folks, especially the service industry, that and contractors that work with us who won't get paid. But even if you're going to get paid at the end of the day, I've actually been in small businesses where we did not get paid. This was not a government shutdown issue, but if you don't get paid for long enough time, you start to run up credit card costs. You start to run up mortgage costs. It's just, I just wanted to bring this up because to me, it's not a political issue. It is not whether the Republicans or Democrats are right. This has an impact on real people doing real work, and it's, I don't think, fair or right. That's my- and It's not a vacation, right? Huh. It's a stressful time for folks. It's not a matter of, oh, time off from work. If you're on furlough for a long time, there's a lot of stress that comes with that, as people but, discover during the pandemic, right? Yeah, and, and Deacon Mark, it's, as you say, it's not a vacation. People like myself, I work through a shutdown. I'm required to because of my job. But you're also, if you're not working and you are furloughed, you're subject to immediate recall as soon as funding is available. So you can't just go somewhere and wait for things to get better and funding to arrive. You actually have to be ready to return to work. I remember an earlier shutdown where the bill was signed in the early hours of the morning and we were expected to be there on time that morning. Yeah. It's a rough thing. And I think I just ask our listeners, if this thing is still looming when they hear this, to pray for everybody who's involved. Patrick, have we talked about you enough? 
I think so. <laughs> I just did something that I've been avoiding for most of my life, and that's I joined a gym about two weeks ago, and I found that to be very intimidating. And it's not unlike somebody who just walks into a church. There's all this stuff, and you don't know what's going on, and I don't know where to start. So I did the only thing I could think of. I went to the desk and said, can you sign me up with a trainer? Give me a guide. Right. And that has been a wonderful experience. So, you know, in the parallel with the spiritual life, go out and if you're unsure of what to do, ask somebody for help. Great advice. And let me just point out to the listeners that we are absent two of our normal, not normal, because they're definitely, <laughs> they are we're definitely, all abnormal. Well, they are normal. They're, they're not we're, normal, we're but they're usual. <laughs> Deacon Tom and Deacon Dennis are not with us today. They are otherwise occupied, as we like to say, at our age. But they're fine. They're doing well, and they'll be back soon in our next episode or so. And can so, I say, before you, you continue, Drew, I, Patrick, judging by your last name, you've got some French-Canadian background. Yes. My grandfather was from Windsor, Ontario, and we can trace the family back to France. So one ancestor came over to New France and founded a dynasty. So I just wanted to thank the Paulus fathers for giving us French Canadian Americans rep true the representation we're owed in this podcast today. Okay, all right. Let's that that's thank you Mark. Thank you very much. We'll move on from there. Yeah. Today today <laughs> Today we are bringing back a guest that we've had in the past, Judge Esther Salas. She appeared on our podcast for the first time, August 2nd, 2022. Those of you who follow the news in some respects may recognize that name, or if you listen to our podcast, you will remember her. Judge Esther Salas is a United States District Court judge, and she works out and lives in New Jersey. And back in 2020, she had a tragedy befall her and her family, her husband. Somebody came to her house, knocked on the door, and then murdered her son. Right in front of her husband, and Judge Esther Salas was in the house as well. And she ran up and witnessed this whole thing. It's a horrible tragedy. And we had her on to talk about the fact that she forgave her killer. And she told us that story. If you had not heard that podcast, you may want to go back and listen to it before you listen to this one. You don't necessarily have to. We refer to it and we tell you a little bit about her past history. And she tells us where she is today. In our last podcast, she told us about the power of forgiveness. She forgave the killer, and it was a powerful, moving podcast. In this podcast today, she's going to tell us how she's doing two years later from that last podcast, three years later from the murder. She lives a spiritual life that I am sure is going to enlighten everyone who listens as to how to live a life through tragedy. And quite frankly, she is also teaching us all how to live a life, even if you don't have the worst tragedy in the world. She teaches us how to be in the presence of God. She's still working as a judge, so it is an interesting podcast. It's a wonderful conversation. I think we should move right on to that conversation, if that's okay with everybody else. Let's do it. On Sunday afternoon, July 19th, 2020, Judge Esther Salas was spending time at home with her family, her son Daniel and her husband Mark. Daniel had just celebrated his 20th birthday when Roy Den Hollander, dressed as a FedEx driver, rang her doorbell. Daniel rushed up to open the door, stepping in front of his father and thereby saving his life. Roy Den Hollander then shot and killed Daniel, and then when he fell, Hollander shot Mark several times after that. Mark survived, and that's a story in and of itself. But Daniel did not. And if you've read the news over the last three years in New Jersey, you know all about this. Judge Salas and her husband Mark have a remarkable story to tell. And Judge Salas told us here in August of last year on our podcast, her story is remarkable not because of the unspeakable tragedy, although that's remarkable in and of itself, but because she and her husband, Mark, publicly forgave Daniel's murderer. She shared her story with us in a podcast episode, a Deacon's Pod episode of August the 2nd, 2022. We have asked her back today, over, about a year later, a little over a year later, 
to tell us how it's been going and to share with us her continuing faith journey, which I think you'll agree is inspiring. Judge Salas, welcome to Deacon's Pod. Oh, thank you for having me back. And it's so great to see everyone. So I look forward to this open, honest, and loving conversation. Well, I'm probably going to jump around a little bit. And of course, Mark and Patrick will come in anytime that they're ready or peaked in with curiosity as something you said or something I said. But taking things totally out of order, I just saw you last week at the Love is Light. <laughs> I almost got it wrong. Love is Light golf tournament in honor of your son, Daniel, which was a fundraiser, essentially. It was a second annual golf tournament. I saw you there two years ago, and I saw you last week. And you got up and you spoke in front of everybody remarkably well and inspired everybody. A few tears were in the house before it was all over. And tell us a little bit about that golf outing. What, what was that all about? I know, but tell our audience what, what, what it was all about. You know, the golf outing, which in large part I'm walled off uh, because it is a fundraiser. But you're walled off because you're a federal district judge. Because I'm a federal district judge. And, and right. so there are ethical and judicial canons that I must live by. And right. so, oh, but I, there is a 501c3 group that was formed to help with judicial security. And since our tragedy, on a side note, from pretty much a week out after Daniel was murdered and Mark was fighting for his life, you know, I felt like something needed to be done. And we, I begged our political leaders in a YouTube video that they, they do something to protect the judiciary. And that was really the start of a long journey to see that judges at every level of government are protected. And so we had the what's called Daniel's Law passed Jersey, thanks to Governor Murphy and the New Jersey legislature. And that was passed in November of 2020, just four and a half months after the shooting and tragedy. And then it took a little bit longer and the road was winding a bit, but we were able to get the Daniel Andrew Judicial Security and Privacy Act passed by President Biden in December of last year. So this 501c3 group was formed somewhere in that period, and their aim was to help protect the judiciary. And so they created this outing that was last year. It was the first one, and this year was the second. And I said, you were there, Drew, during my remarks, I said that we took something so tragic and horrific and turned it into something beautiful. And it's not only beauty of the day, which is people getting together. You can almost feel the love. Mm -hmm. Mark and I run in a golf cart and run to every hole and we try to see everybody and thank everybody, but also in the room that night, but beyond, because what they're trying to do is create scholarships at, at various law schools and universities. And to date, the Love is Light golf tournament has two fully endowed scholarships at Seton Hall Law and at Rutgers University. Those scholarships will be for students who have financial need and who are studying in either cybersecurity, privacy laws, or even criminal justice at Rutgers. And before that, there were four fully endowed scholarships at each of the schools that Danny attended or planned to attend. So we're doing our part to, to really transform ourselves, transform the pain, and make it into something beautiful that will last for a very long time. And, and you're doing a remarkable job, and people who get to know you and who run into you at these outings are also impressed. I had so many people come up to me. A lot of people know that you and I were friendly and that I worked with you at one point in time, and they just, so they sought me out to talk to me, to tell me how wonderful you are and what a great job they were. There were guys out on the golf course who would come in and say, she actually stopped and took a picture with us. And I said, they're all impressed and how just outgoing you were and how thankful and grateful you were. Now, I just used a couple of words that I know that you are living your life by, because you and I have talked about this. I used variations of the words, gratitude and forgiveness. Now, last time you were here, uh, and you just told this bone-chilling story about forgiveness. So how has that propelled you? I guess my question is, how do you live day-to-day -day now? I live day-to-day -day with a very a habitual practice that starts with God in the morning. And no matter where I go, and I've been traveling quite a bit, talking about judicial security, 
talking about criminal justice reform, which are two of my passions. And But it doesn't matter where I am. I am start my day thanking God when I wake up in the morning. And I have this little prayer that I say before I try to get out of bed. Or even if I wake up in the middle of the night, I say it and I say, God, give me the strength and patience to deal with today's blessings. And please allow me to respond with loving kindness. And I said, I took, used to say challenges. And then uh, my sister, Sarah said, challenges, I, I think you should look at them as blessings. Because no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what challenge you're facing throughout the day, it's an opportunity for growth, inner growth. And you're better for it. So I mm-hmm. took my sister, Sarah's advice and I changed my prayer to blessings. And I say that, And then I start with my spiritual reading, my time alone to reflect in the morning. It's a must. And I try when the schedule permits to go out and walk with God, right? I walk in nature and I really take the moment in. (laughs) I look at the the birds flying and I see the trees and I see all that God has blessed us with. And it is my medication. I don't view it as leisure. It's a medical regimen if you will. And then, of course, my job as a United States district judge provides me the mental exercise that I need to get. So it's really spirit, body, and mind, and in that order. And that is how I live seven days a week. And that is what's necessary to get me through the blessings of every day. I know that you've done had a couple of opportunities to give faith talks. That's not something you did before this, right? No, I've always been a faithful person. Mm -hmm. My family, Mark, he is a product of Catholic schooling. Having gone to your house for a couple of social events, uh, you used to throw a wonderful Christmas party every year. And I'd spend time with Mark and with Daniel. And Mark and I and Mark's partner have had several, I'm going to call them discussions, not arguments about Catholic theology. (laughs) (laughs) But I know uh, that yeah. you've always been Catholic, and Daniel was at Catholic University, correct? Yes. Yeah. Daniel Daniel went to St. Augustine's uh, of Canterbury in Kendallport, New Jersey. Father Robert Lynham, our, our Father Bob, our, our faithful partner through this journey since uh, July 19, 2020, uh, was instrumental in, in helping Daniel along with uh, Sister Mary Louise. And um, he went on to St. Joe's, Metuchen. And I'll never forget it. I love talking about Daniel. It makes me uh, smile inside and out. I remember we were going to see Catholic University of America and we got on campus and Mark and I, and we were like, oh my God. And you know, Daniel turned around and was like, mom, dad, I, I'm, I, you know, I've gone to Catholic grammar school and high school and I'm going to make up my own mind on the college I want to attend. <laughs> Absolutely, honey, no problem. You go ahead. So we, we really had to contain our excitement as we walked through the Basilica and did like everything uh, on that particular day when we were visiting. It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful, it's it's magical. And so I remember finally when he was doing his application and we said, so, so what are your schools? What are your final four? And he was like Catholic university, but he, you almost saw it with a little vinegar and and a a little vinegar was there with that sweet you know, chocolate as well. So he loved the school. It changed him too. It was uh, It was just a place where we saw our son totally, I want to say, flourish. He was just growing into a wonderful man. Yeah. And he just loved the school. He was always a great kid. I mean, I watched him grow up over the years. and and But you could see him when all of a sudden, I remember it, it was like, to me, it was a jump. Because it always happens when you don't see your friend's kids until for a year. And then all of a sudden, what happened to that little boy? Like, he's a man. He's a man. Big swan, dropping. <laughs> like I say, everybody's so handsome, but he was so goofy, yeah. so humble yeah. in his human form because to me, he's very much still alive uh, spiritually. So, sure. but in his human form, I, I love that about him. I love the fact he was able to show a vulnerability with me and able to be so excited about the most mundane things in life. And I think his life on earth is a lesson for all of us. I I would agree. Let me, and so you've got this daily habit now of basically putting yourself in the presence of God one way or the other, through prayer, through hopefully nature, through walks, 
Yeah. And through the blessings, which you used to call challenges, but you call blessings now that you're confronted with every day. I love the way you th- say that. I'm going to start thinking about it in that way. Yes. So let me ask a question, which might be helpful to, I think, to a lot of our listeners who are not deacons or priests or nuns, sisters, I should say. The person, though, who, who has faith in their life, and I want to ask it specifically to you. Your job is a district judge, and you took some time off after the tragedy, but then you went back to work, what I would consider way too early, but you went back to work, and I know you've got a full calendar based on what I know. Do you bring that this whole sense of the presence of God into the courthouse, and how do you do that, if you do? You know, I do. I mean, listen, God is with me 24-7, and so... But I'm very careful. And what I want to say is that mm. I try to to take with me the core of who I am. I'm learning to, to develop. And now, let me say, say it another way. I have this whole, uh, I try to be impeccable with my word. I, I read <laughs> this book, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And, and one of the lessons is be impeccable with your word. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I am finding out who I am, my true self, the capital S, and I always divide my life with by pre-murder, post-murder. Okay. And post-murder has been about a journey and an exploration to self. And part of who I am, and, and these are my books, is that I am a child of God. And so I know that my life and what I do in terms of my goal line has to always jive with my soul line. Mm-hmm. And so I try to... Uh, live a life of non-judgment, even if I'm a judge. And a lot of people are always like, how do you do that? If you're a judge, how are you living a life of non-judgment? And I think it, there's a difference between discernment and judgment. And when you look at, as you, a former judge, would know, Drew, you take the law, you apply it to the facts, right? and you really do have to put aside your own personal feelings, biases, prejudices. You really have to just stick to the, the law and facts. And right. when you do that, that's constructive judgment. Right. When you begin to insert your own personal preferences, your biases, your philosophies, mm-hmm. your views, personal views about life, right. that's when it becomes, I think, a, a form of judgment that has either no place, and I believe this, no place in the court, absolutely, but no place in your life either. Right. I agree. You mentioned that I was formerly on the bench, and I told this to some people just recently. I don't remember if I said it on this podcast or not, but on criminal duty, I was a magistrate judge, like you started, and then you became a district judge. As a magistrate judge, we had criminal duty once every seven weeks because there were seven magistrate judges in the district, in the in our vicinage. And I often would stop in the security hall. I'd come out of my chambers, and you go across the hall before you go into the courtroom. And just stop. And my staff became accustomed to this, to just be silent for a moment and not, not to pray that I made the right decision, but just to pray that I listened and that I would be open to whatever I was about to be confronted with, blessed with in that courtroom. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, and it's about reflection and it's about stillness. Right. I read this book, Stillness Speaks by Eckhart Tolle. Mm. And it's a beautiful book, real sh- Thin bro. You know, the idea of us allowing ourselves a moment to just connect, to just get ourselves centered. And what I love for me, it's, these conversations are about God. But I think that if we speak to anyone, whether you're religious or not, the idea of trying to center yourself, right. the idea of trying, if you want to speak, from a neuroscientific place, trying to, again, regulate yourself and to calm yourself down and to realize that, you know what, I am going to go out and do anything that I have to do, whether it's decide a difficult case or have a difficult conversation with a loved one or Mm -hmm. help someone in need, right? Whatever it is, you try to get to that place where you are willing to open your mind and your heart and right. sometimes not your mouth. Exactly. <laughs> you don't always have to open your mouth. Right. Because right. most of the time, people really just want to be heard and seen. So compassionate listening is really, I think, one of the things that I've worked on since July 19, 2020. 
it's I think it's just so critically important. And you're right. It, it doesn't have to just be taken like into the courtroom or someplace like that. It's wherever we go, because we are all, and I'm very guilty of this, all always thinking about the next thing we want to say as soon as they finish talking. You know, right. and it, yeah. so we're not really focused. We're not really right. connecting with that person on a deeper level because right. we're so worried and about what we're going to say next or how do mm -hmm. we keep that conversation going or what do we, and so it, in my journey, these last three plus years, it's been an idea of understanding my ego and understanding who the true self is and understanding how to stay in the present moment and really appreciate it for what it is, not right. for what I want it to be. Right, right. Well, that's so gr well said. It's so, so far, what I'm taking from this conversation is you're spending more time trying to be present to God or knowing where God is present in your life and adjusting yourself to know who you are in that presence and who you are with that other person who might be present as well with you. Yeah, right? yeah. huge. It's always important for me to just try to take to any interaction with anyone, whether it's someone I'm opening the door for when I walk into a particular mm -hmm. location or whether it's someone that I'm listening to at a sentencing that is trying to talk to me and tell me what and why they went, why they took the turn in their life and right. what was happening to them. And it's about, I truly believe it's about us learning to be more compassionate and learning to be more present and trying our best to not necessarily judge the person, but trying our best to understand and ultimately connect with them so that they can walk away from any experience feeling seen and heard and valued as right. a member of our community, our society, and, and of the world. Well, the other night, you when you were talking, and I, we, you said this in the beginning, and I'm mentioned it you talked i thought the other night a lot about gratitude what is there to be grateful about in this world today oh my gosh life what life I, I truly believe that most of us go through this world thinking that we have to act a certain way in order to earn our way into heaven mm -hmm. and and so we we keep saying well i i will reach right those pearly gates and and then I'll finally love myself. And then I'll finally love everyone else. And we can live heaven on earth. And we can do that by appreciating the littlest things and, and the bigger things. I really believe that when we start to have gratitude for the most mundane, we begin to open our hearts to all the blessings that we have been given. You know, I learned the hard way right. because I lost my only child. Right. And I realized that I had still life to live and that he wanted me and his father to continue to thrive in this world, not just survive. And so when you begin to have gratitude and you start with gratitude, again, marveling at the most money, mm -hmm. you, you see life completely different, differently. And I know I said this to the la to, to Dennis and Tom the last time that we all got together, but after the tragedy and after I began to go through this transformation, I started seeing, you know, the world in a, in a different, in multi-dimensions. I started really looking at the sky and the clouds and the trees, and I really started to examine the beauty that exists and that we're privy to at every moment when, whether we're driving to work or taking my morning walk or happen to just go outside for just some, a breath of air. And, and I just, I don't know if I was looking at life and all the beauty surrounding it the right way as I am now. And it's, it allows me to just say, thank you. Thank you to God. Thank you for the day I had, which I end every night praying to this little shrine that I've created to Mary and Jesus and Daniel. And, and my, my ritual as well at night is to just say thank you. And I actually say, and I, I know there's a reason I'll do it. Maybe I'll understand it. But I actually rub Daniel's picture and I say, I love you three times. 
And then I rub Mary and I say, I love you. And I do it to Daniel, Mary, Jesus, my mom and God. And Mm -hmm. that is my ritual before I go to bed. Now, one, I'm connecting with my God. I'm connecting with my source. I'm connecting with Mary and Jesus and Daniel. But I also think that, again, if we want to talk about regulation and neuroscience, right? Right. Mm -hmm. I am regulating myself and getting myself ready to go to bed and to have the rest that I need to continue to heal, which I'm very much still in this healing journey of ours. Yes, Mark. Mark. Yeah. Hi. And by the way, your husband has a great name. So I just want to say that. Spell it the right way too. I'm just (laughs) kidding to the Mark C's in the world. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get there? You went through this terrible experience in your life. How did you get to the point where you could say thank you to God for, as you say, the mundane things in the world? I got cracked wide open. And when you get cracked wide open, you have two choices. You can either let the light come on in or you can close up. And we know a lot of people that close up. And so I started, I started this journey of mine, just really trying to touch whatever I could, read whatever I could, get connected to whatever I could, and, and try to understand what was going on with me. I went down near-death experience books. I went down Father Richard Rohr. I watched almost every podcast that he has. I started reading books on staying in the present moment, Cartoli, my singer, Dr. Hawkins. And what I started doing was trusting that God was leading. I was picking up something and if it felt right, I was reading it and I was processing it. And I really honestly just started following the signs. I started following the signs. It took a lot. I was in a very dark place and little by little, I took the steps. And I like to say that when the beginning, those steps were like shuffling. And then along the way, they, my stride got a little wider. And it's about following your heart. It's about trusting God. And it's about doing the work. And I'm not judging anyone, but it takes work to really try to connect and to heal and to move forward. And I always say move forward, Mark, but never on. Because I can never move on from what happened to us, but I can move forward. And God, I always love to say, God is there for us and he provides the signs, but we have to be willing to see them. We have to be willing to watch for them and we have to also be willing to work for them. And so I continue, I'm still growing. I'm still trying to figure out my true self, but as I move forward in this journey, I, I am feeling such a sense of peace and acceptance and tranquility that I've never had in my life. And so it's very liberating to feel the way I feel right now. And I I am, again, thankful for his signs and thankful that I had, I had the good sense to follow them. Yeah. It's, it is always, the journey of faith is always a process and a practice. Yeah. And it requires us to take those steps on the path. It's people often will, I've had just recently, we had good friends who told us that they've lost their faith because they've been praying and they don't seem to be getting answers. And of course, I didn't give them that trite thing that, you know, well, God answered you, but he said, no, I didn't tell them that. I just said, well, well, let's talk about that and, and try to talk and walk on that journey with them because yeah. it's keeping your eyes open. It's, we've all, uh, had those instances, I have anyway, and I think everybody has, where we think about something that happened two days ago and we go, oh, I think that might have been God. I think that might have been a message that I wasn't listening to at the time, but now I can, now I see it. What you're, I think, developing, Judge, if I may be so bold to say, is the practice to notice it at the time, to try mm-hmm. to notice it at the time. It reminds me of a lot of uh, discussion about the kingdom of God. I'm thinking specifically about Gerard Lofink, who's written a few books, and I really like him. He's a Catholic uh, priest and writer, theologian, uh, who talks about the kingdom of God is not yet and now. So it's here, but it's not full, because we have to keep going, bringing it out. 
And that's Jesus brought us the kingdom. And maybe the Holy Spirit confirmed the guy. I I, I don't want to get too theological, but the fact is it's here and now and not yet because it's not full because it's up to us to help make it full. Right. And it's up to us to decide how do we want to live? How do we want to live our lives? It's very short. We're here for for just a moment in time. uh, What's that psalm? Mark or, or Patrick may remember the exact psalm, but like the... We're here for what, 80, 60, 80 years? And I'm thinking the guy back who lived 2,000 years ago lived for 80 years. That's pretty good. Yeah, but it's the idea of wanting to live a life that when it's all said and done and you look back, sort of say, what have I done to make this place a better place when I'm gone? That's the way I look at it. And, And look, am I always happy? No, I think that I'm on this journey that there are parallel roads. And sometimes I'm on the grieving mother road. Sometimes I have to be there. I have to feel it. I have to process it. And then I have to be willing to go on to the other road. And that's the one where it's balanced with joy and love and gratitude. And so together, a journey that's traveled, but it's one that I, I think I feel balanced and I feel connected to my God and I feel connected to my brothers and sisters who all of us experience pain. I don't care if you've lost your dog or your mother or your son Mm -hmm. or a relationship. Loss is loss. And it's painful and it's real. But what do we do with it thereafter? And how do we cherish? And my husband, I credit him for saying this, but he always says to me, we have to cherish, we have to celebrate our son's life not mourn his death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's what we're choosing to do. And let me give a shout out to your husband, by the way. He's just such a great guy. He was a great guy before this happened, of course, but he's still such a great guy and so strong. And I, the other night when I was with you all and I had a nice conversation with him, and I don't even remember what the topic was, but I was bemoaning my own mortality and my own illnesses and this and that. And I looked at him and he's just smiling and he goes, I don't care about any of that anymore. I'm not afraid of that. I'm like, he goes, I've been there. I don't care. He goes, I'm just living. And I looked at him and I said to myself, what a jerk you are, Drew. (laughs) But he laughed and I laughed and we knew where that was going. So I just a shout out to Mark. He's just so wonderful. Oh, he's just, listen, he was working and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying he was fighting as far as life right after after shooting. But as soon as he got his strength back, he was demanding to go to the office and he has not stopped working. He's a criminal defense attorney who feels right. very strongly about representing people and ensuring that their constitutional rights are being adhered to. And he does his work, his public service in a lot of ways. And it's his way of giving back. And I love his passion. I love his faith. I love his courage. I just love him. He's just, we've been together for 31 years and that, thanks be to God, I still have him, which is a blessing. So we travel this journey together and it's not always on, you know, the same path. One of us can be on the road where we're mourning our our son and, and the other one is on the other path and we'll bring each other over and help each other along the way and never alone because we've always got God. We always have Daniel and we're always surrounded by people who love us. Thank God you have each other, too. That's uh, oh. got to be such a blessing for each of you. You're so wonderful in talking about gratitude and looking on blessings, right? On your blessings. and But I never hear you talk about anger. And I think many of us would think that you've, you must have your Job moments, right? So it's funny you bring that up, Mark. See, I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in God incidences. So you're bringing something up that just happened recently. So without getting into the details, I had a moment uh, just a few days ago. And it poor Mark, it involved Mark. <laughs> and, and without <laughs> getting into the details, I was so angry. And I remember just this anger that bubbled up in me. And the people in the car next to me must have been like, what is going on? Because I was screaming at poor Mark through the phone. And, and it was just this, anger. And I'm glad I was alone in a car before Mark was on the other phone. And I just released so much 
anger. And again, poor Mark drew because it didn't end there. We had another conversation. And this time we were in person and there was just so much anger that came out of me. And I went to bed that night and I laid down and I was exhausted. And I realized that had been inside of me. I'm going to get emotional talking about it. It was there. And I think I just, I, I hadn't released it. I hadn't released it. And through this process, I haven't been mad at God. I haven't. And I went from, you know, the, the moments after the murder where I wanted to die. And I was so depressed and it was so dark. And then I started pulling out of that and finding gratitude and forgiveness. And I started on that. But, but the stages of grief, I hadn't dealt with anger. And I realized now that I had to get that out. I had to get it out. And I feel, you know, I feel a tremendous weight that's been lifted by getting that out of my system. And it was stuck inside. It was bottled up. And so, Mark, yeah, I think there are times that we have to recognize that it isn't always easy, but necessary to get through those points in time. So I'm just grateful that I have Mark. And if he listens at a later time, I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> Thanks well, for saying that, though, because I, I feel I I can't imagine not feeling just tremendous anger and and expressing that to God. And I hope then following that with reconciliation with God and getting to the point where you are, right? But uh, hearing that as difficult as it may have been just now to ex- describe that moment uh, with us, hearing that is, is somewhat reassuring that, yes, you have you do have those moments. Oh, yeah. Uh, that then leads you to that sense of gratitude that you were talking about so eloquently. Yeah. Listen, I think it's important to feel what we're feeling, to process it, and then to let it go, to, to give it to God, to let it go. And, and there's so much that we all hold inside. We, we have spent a lifetime suppressing and repressing our emotions and our feelings, and it bubbles up. And unless you have a, a healthy way of allowing it to come up and to feel it, process and release it, those are the things that I think have been really helpful for me in recognizing that on this healing journey, it's been those things that I'm trying to practice. Even taking your tragedy and putting it just aside for a second, there's anger. We all have anger issues about uh, anger. I shouldn't say anger issues. I have anger issues. <laughs> I have anger about certain things and we misdirect it. It's okay. We can all say on this podcast, it's okay to be mad at God, to be angry at God. Sometimes people aren't, they're afraid to be or whatever, but it's also okay to be angry at your spouse once in a while and just take it out on your spouse. That's why we're here. That's why we're here for each other. I've constructively, constructively, but I have yelled and and I'm like, and I've gotten the response back. Why are you yelling at me? And I'm like, because you're standing here. (laughs) (laughs) No, but but you know what? I I agree with you, Drew. It's the idea of knowing we're human, right? Right. I believe we're spiritual beings uh, living and have human experience. And I think that we all have our moments where we can fall back and do the blame game or say that we deserve better or feel that entitlement. Sometimes we tend to feel when we're operating in the with all about me world. But I do think that we, the process of coming back to center and coming back to realizing that we had a moment and recognizing it and doing our part to own it and to try to be better next time. Those are the things that that I think make us loving and beautiful human beings is when we can admit we've made a mistake and we can move forward and be better because of it. Those are all the things that I think about as I process my healing journey and I think about the things that have happened to us. And I think it's okay to admit when you've come off that center and just as long as you're able to just to come back. I was just going to say that, uh, you know, like Deacon Mark here, I couldn't help but immediately be drawn to the Job parallels. And one of the things that often happens is we come across what I like to call gateway moments that lead 
to the sacred space. And unfortunately, they're often filled with tragedy to start with. And that's something that is very difficult for people to deal with and recognize. And kudos to Judge Salas for coming through that darkness and not only entering the light herself, but sharing that life with everybody. It's just amazing. And I was just wondering, how does she deal with things on the day-to-day basis, the little things? Because when you go through those tragic moments, that grief never leaves us, and it always pops up at the most inopportune moment. Yeah. Well, it's funny, again, Patrick, you, you asked that because I was talking about it in my remarks the other night or at the Love is Light golf tournament because I started to think about challenges. And I remember right after the bill passed in December, I was just writing and President Biden signed the, the law. I was writing a, like a, just, I was, what was the word? I was just using it the other day. I was just walking and I was walking on the ground. And then I woke up in the middle of the night and I don't, I'm not a creative person. And in the sense of a creative writer and a poem, like I call it a divine download. And these words just came to me. And I, Mark went to the bathroom because I said, I'd already, every night it's who's going to go how many times. To... <laughs> but this time it was Mark's turn. So he had gone <laughs> to the bathroom and I went and I, I literally started writing down the poem on my phone. And the next morning, Sunday morning, I woke up and I just felt like I had to finish the poem. And so I, I wrote this poem called After. And so if you would mind if I, if I read the poem. No, I think it's a, a, a good idea. So I, I wrote this. This is After. It says, when the blow comes, I'm in the thick of it. When the pain is at its highest, you are what I long for. When it seems that all hope is lost, you are what I see in the distance. Then, in a quiet whisper, his voice called out to me. Then, just as the clouds begin to part, signs point to you. Then, it dawns on me that I am never alone. Now, with the passage of time, I look back and reflect. Now, it is clear that he has brought me to you. Now I have reached the after you, a broken yet stronger me. May I always remember that with his gentle guidance, peace, and loving support, there will always be an after. And so I sort of think when we talk about, I wrote that poem, and I was wondering why it was coming to me, Patrick, at the time that I wrote it, because things were great. You know, I'll pass the law. And within days, my life, things started unraveling. Not as bad as what happened to Daniel and losing Daniel, but it was pretty, you know, there, there were moments, just things were happening. And I remember at that point getting a little mad. So I will say I'm going to re- revise my, I was a little mad at God because I said, God, I, I remember looking up at him and saying, I think we filled our quota. I don't <laughs> think we should be having these problems. <laughs> but that's not realistic, right? We're going to go through so much even after the death of Daniel. And so I started processing those challenges and remembering the after, remembering that what is happening, it's all happening. But when it's done and you've made it through, you can look back at the after you and see that you're stronger for it, better for it. And so I, I think that It's one, for me, it's about remembering that this too shall pass. And we're going to get to that other side. And so that, that's one of the things that I keep remembering is the after, the after me and remembering that I can see it in the distance, even if I'm in, in, in the eye of the storm at the moment. I also mentioned this during my remarks, but I do believe that there are three things that people need in, in dealing with challenges. And of course, it's that strong, it's a strong foundation. It's a strong foundation that for some of us come from our families. Uh, for some people, it comes from whoever they're to and that connectedness, right? But uh, that foundation that you're going to be able to brace yourself and get ready for that challenge, knowing 
The second thing is knowing that you're never alone and that you have to have the courage to ask for help. That's huge. And then finally, faith. Faith for me has been that glue that for that foundation. And faith for me has been the ability to connect to God in a way that I know I'm not alone. And faith for me has been the power to weather that, the challenge and work through it. And so those three things have been what I hold on to when dealing with the small challenges to the biggest one of my life, which was the murder of my only child. The other night when Judge Salas read that poem and she came to the end, there was just a silence in the room. Three, I don't know how many people were there, 300, 400 attorneys and business people. And the open bar had been open for a while. <laughs> so you would expect it to be noisy. And she just brought the room to silence with that. It's a beautiful poem. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you for allowing me to read it. Thank you. And I just, for me, I, I, I really do believe that we all are traveling this journey of ours. And, and it's never easy, but it's so critical that we try our best to, to love life. And try our best to appreciate the moments that we have. I just think we have one life to live on this earth. And it, it's our ability to, and our, the power of choice, the power to choose to stay in the light and to not go dark and to not fall into the shadows. And so for me, that's why light is so, so critical for me. And I remember right after the murder, they it just kept repeating. I just got to stay in the light. Just kind of stay in the light. And I found myself saying that all the time. And that's where the hate is heavy, love is light mm -hmm. uh, came, was born mm -hmm. out of. And then, of course, we short, shortened it to love is light. But mm -hmm. for me, it's a must to try to be positive, to try to stay in that light and to try to be a light bearer for those that, that need it. That's the life I've chosen to live. Part of that experience must have been the forgiveness that you talked about quite a bit last time when you were with us. But in listening to you talk about this, that forgiveness was healing for you, it sounds. Oh, it was. You know, we talked on the last time that we all gathered about forgiveness. And to me, it all starts and ends with forgiveness. And it's I remember the day I forgave my son's killer. And I tell people more, forgave him in the ICU when he was fighting for his life. I, I wasn't able to do it, Mark, at that particular moment. But a couple of weeks later, I, I did. And I remember bowing my head. It was during a mass that Father Bob was a mass at the house with Father Bob. And I, I bowed my head and was holding Mark's hand. Mark was still helplessly laying in that hospital bed, rented a hospital bed for him in the house that we're renting it holding his hand and just saying, God, I forgive him. God, I forgive him. And it was a powerful moment for me. And of course, I was emotional and I still get emotional every time I say it. But I remember going to the kitchen afterwards because we always would have mass and then and break bread after. And I remember just feeling light, lighter and feeling a tremendous weight that had been lifted. And I think that it's important for us to forgive and most people struggle with it. But I always say forgiveness is, of course, about forgiving the person or the thing that might have been happening. But it's also so important that you forgive for yourself, that you can open your heart to now endless possibilities and that you can and you can feel love again and you can feel light again. And that comes through forgiveness. And it's something that I think we, especially now in this world that we're all living, I think we have to be mindful of how important it is to forgive and to release, to release all that anger and to release that resentment and to release those feelings that keep us weighed down and keep us from the light. And so uh, I think for, it really does start and end with forgiveness and in between there's the non-judgment and gratitude and patience 
Um, and love is, is all throughout. But forgiveness is huge, Mark. So let me turn to the question that we ask all our guests, and I think it's particularly appropriate today. You run into that person who's standing in the door of the church, and they can't decide whether to go in, or maybe they're on their way out, and they can't decide whether they should leave. They just don't know what the church can do for them. What do you say to that person? That's great. What do I say to them? I think what I would say to them is if they want some company, they can come back in with me. And if they want some love, they can take that with them because whether we're in church or away from church, God is always with us and his love is always extended to us and we can receive it no matter where we are and no matter what we're doing, as long as we remember that he is never far away. Beautiful answer. Thank you so much. One thing that I think people always say is that we're like trying to find God and we're trying to go to God and all but he's never left. It's us that got up and walked out. And we, and we, and he, and that's why I say patience is so big because the Lord knows he's so patient with us. And I know that he waits. He mm-hmm. waits and, and he comes in a quiet whisper and sometimes in a shout. And it's up to us to decide if we're listening. So I, I try to always listen. I really do. And, and I hope that. As I continue to move forward in this healing journey of mine, that I remain open to all of the possibilities uh, and everything that he wants us to do together. And I just think that we are an opportunity to be his voice and to act in accordance with the principles of love and continue to be kind to one another. And remember that we're all connected and we're all, we're all in this together. And so I, I'm just, I'm grateful for an opportunity to talk about a subject that I feel so passionate about. And for me, this is what it's all about. Just remembering the basics, remembering the things that I think would help us through any situation and remembering that we're never alone, that we're never alone. I hope you realize how many people you help by your witness and by your words. It's not, they're not just touching, they're helping a lot of people just by what you say and how you live your life. So thank you. It's healing. It's healing for people. Oh, but- I, I hope so. And, and you know what? At, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I just feel like at this point in my life, what I'm doing is more about the we, the we climb. I think pre-murder, there was a lot of the I climb. And I read, I think I mentioned in this book to you the last time, Drew, and it's written by David Brooks and it's called The Second Mountain. Right. And it's a great book. And and I just related to it in so many levels when he talked about the climbs. And Mark and I are definitely on a weak climb. Uh, we have a different perspective about getting up that mountain. And it's not about you know, how fast you go and how direct you go and how you did it alone. But it's more about, did you enjoy the climb? Did you stop and help a friend? Did you stop and ask for help? And did you do what you could to make it a better experience for all as opposed to just you? And that's where I am. I'm on that weak climb right now. Well, Judge Salas, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on with us again. And I agree with Deacon Mark and Deacon Patrick, I'm sure does too, that this is going to be so good for everyone else who gets to hear this. Thanks so much. And, and Judge, thanks for sharing your, your poem as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And Patrick, I know you want to say goodbye. I just want to thank you for letting me be a fly on the wall here and just experience this firsthand because this is wonderful. And I echo what Marcus said. You're going to help so many people as they hear this and it'll be there for them when they need it. Well, I want to thank you all and I want to end with something. It's not mine. I, I totally heard it. Some heard it. 
once and I love it. And I just ask everyone uh, to remember that life is a gift and we should live our lives as a thank you note to God. So thank you so much, everyone. Please be well and be safe and the best to all. Special thanks to El Jefe Paul Snatchko and our editor, David Dalt. The Deacon's Pod is powered by the Paulus Fathers. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts and, of course, at our own website, www.deaconspod.com. That's D-E-A-C-O-N-S with an S, Deacon's, plural, pod, all one word, dot com. And, of course, we'd love to hear your comments at our email address, which is deaconspod, again, with an S, deacons, at paulist.org. That's P-A-U-L-I-S-T dot org. Love to hear from you. That's our offering. We thank you for being with us. On behalf of our colleagues at the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, we wish you a future brighter than any past. Till next time.